Volume One, Chapters Eleven and Twelve of *The Widow Barnaby* by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven: An Important Correspondence and an Important Interview. On returning to her solitary quarters at the King's Head, Mrs. Wilmot called for pen, ink, and paper, and wrote the following note to her young pupil: "My dear Agnes." i am just returned from a visit to copton bassett where i was very kindly received by your aunt she wishes to see you before you leave the neighbourhood and i have promised to take you to her to-morrow morning i will therefore call at eleven o'clock when i hope i shall find you ready to accompany me with compliments to mrs barnaby believe me dear agnes affectionately yours mary wilmot to this epistle she speedily received the following answer mrs barnaby presents her compliments to mrs wilmot and begs to know if there is any reason why she should not join the party to compton bassett to-morrow morning if not she requests mrs wilmot's permission to accompany her in the drive as the doing so will be a considerable convenience mrs barnaby wishes to pay her duty to her aunt before she leaves the country to return a negative to this request was disagreeable being absolutely necessary however it was done without delay but it was with burning cheeks and flashing eyes that mrs barnaby read the following civil refusal mrs wilmot regrets extremely that she is under the necessity of declining the company of mrs barnaby to-morrow morning but miss compton expressly desired that agnes should be brought to her alone to this mrs barnaby replied as mrs wilmot has been pleased to take upon herself the office of go-between she is requested to inform miss betsy compton that the aunt who has adopted agnes willoughby intends to bestow too much personal care upon her to permit her paying any visits in which she cannot accompany her the vexed and discomfited mrs wilmot returned to compton bassett with these two notes in her hand instead of the pretty agnes and her mortification was very greatly increased by perceiving that the disappointment of the old lady fully equalled her own this obvious sympathy of feeling led to a more confidential intercourse than had ever before taken place between the solitary heiress and any other person whatever so contrary indeed was this species of frank communication in her habits that it was produced rather by the necessity of giving vent to her angry feelings than for the gratification of confessing any other in reply to her first indignant burst of resentment mrs wilmot said i lament the consequences of this ill-timed impertinence for my poor pupil's sake more than it is easy for me to explain to you miss compton do me the justice to believe that i am not in the habit of interfering in the family concerns of my pupils and then you will be better able to appreciate the motives and feelings which still lead me to urge you not to withdraw your protection and kindness from agnes willoughby i do believe that your motives are excellent and i can believe too that if your pupil deserve half you have said of her the protection and kindness even of such a being as myself might be more beneficial to her than being left at the mercy of this hateful vulgar-minded woman but what would you have me do mrs wilmot you would not ask me to leave my flowers my bees my books and my peaceful home to keep watch over mrs barnaby and see that she does not succeed in making this poor girl as detestable as herself you would not expect me to do this would you no miss compton no one i think would willingly impose such a task upon you as that of watching mrs barnaby but i see no objection to your watching agnes and how is the one to be done without the other it is quite natural that the child of one of miss martha wisett's daughters should live with the other of them my relationship to this girl is remote in comparison to hers miss compton replied mrs wilmot i fear that my acquaintance with you hardly justifies the pertinacity with which i feel disposed to urge this point 
but indeed it is of vital importance to one that i very dearly love and one whom you would dearly love too would you permit yourself to know her do not apologize to me for the interest you take in her returned the old lady in a tone rather more encouraging there is more need perhaps that i should apologize for the want of it and to say the truth she added after considerable pause i have no objection to explain my motives to you though it has never fallen in my way before to meet any one to whom i wished to do this my life has been an odd one though surrounded by human beings with whom i have lived on the most friendly terms i have passed my existence as to anything like companionship entirely alone i have never been dull for i have read incessantly and altogether i think it likely that i have been happier than most people but in the bosom of this unrepining solitude it is likely enough that i have nursed opinions into passions and distaste into hatred thus mrs wilmot the reasonable opinion that i set out with for instance when inheriting my father's long descended acres that it was my duty in all things to sustain as much as in me lay the old claim to gentle blood which attached to my race injured perhaps in some degree by this division of its patrimony in my favour even this reasonable opinion mrs wilmot has by degrees grown perhaps into unreasonable strength for i would rather madam press age and ugliness remarkable as my own to my heart as the acknowledged descendant of that race than a vulgar coarse-minded coarse-looking thing though she were as buxom as martha wisett when my poor silly brother married her the latter part of this speech was uttered with great rapidity and an appearance of considerable excitement but this quickly subsided and the little spinster became as pale and composed as usual while she listened to mrs wilmot's quiet accents in reply there is nothing to surprise me in this miss compton the feeling is a very natural one but the more strongly it is expressed the more strongly must i wonder at your permitting the sole descendant of your ancient race to be left at the mercy of a mrs barnaby not all the eloquence in the world could have gone so far towards obtaining the object mrs wilmot had in view as this concluding phrase you are right excellent woman you are right and i deserve to see my father's acres peopled by a race of barnabys i will save her and here the poor old lady stopped a sudden panic seized her and she sat for several minutes positively trembling at the idea that she might unadvisedly take some step which should involve her in the horrible necessity of being encumbered for the rest of her life with a companion whose looks or manner might remind her of a martha wisett or a mrs barnaby i dare not do it she exclaimed at last do not ask it do not force me or at any rate contrive to let me see her first in a shop or in the street or any way i can decide on nothing till i have seen her i would do anything within my power to arrange this for you replied mrs wilmot but i cannot delay my return beyond to-morrow nor do i believe that my agency would render this more easy why should you not at once call on both your nieces miss compton there would be no difficulty in this and it would give you the best possible opportunity of judging both of the appearance and manners of agnes both my nieces no difficulty you understand little or nothing of my feelings but go home go home mrs wilmot do your own duty which is a plain one and leave me to find out mine if i can you will not then abandon the idea of seeing this poor girl miss compton no i will not was the reply pronounced almost solemnly then farewell my dear madam 
i can ask no more than this except indeed your forgiveness for having asked thus much so perseveringly i thank you for it mrs wilmot i believe you are a very good woman and i will endeavour to act if god will give me grace as i think you would approve if you could read all the feelings of my heart farewell and so they parted the active useful matron to receive the eager welcome of her expecting family and the solitary recluse to the examination of her own thoughts which were alternately both sweet and bitter sometimes cheering her with a vision of domestic happiness and endearment to soothe her declining age and sometimes making her shudder as she fancied her tranquil existence invaded and destroyed by the presence of one whom she might strive in vain to love chapter twelve choosing a lady's maid a happy meeting unhappily broken in upon miss compton utters a long farewell to agnes mrs wilmot did not leave silverton without taking an affectionate leave of agnes and when this was over the poor girl felt herself wholly and for ever consigned to the authority and companionship of mrs barnaby it would be difficult to trace out the cause of the sharp pang which this conviction brought with it but it was strong enough at that moment to rob the future of all the bright tints through which eyes of sixteen are apt to look at it she cherished certainly a deep feeling of gratitude for the kindness that afforded her a home but unhappily she cherished also a feeling equally strong that it was less easy to repay the obligation with affection than with gratitude not a syllable had been said to her by mrs wilmot respecting the interview she was still likely to have with her aunt copton for she had promised this secrecy to the nervous and uncertain old lady who while trembling with anxious impatience to see this important niece shrunk before the difficulty she foresaw in finding such an opportunity as she sought for she still resolutely persevered in her determination not to see mrs barnaby with her but yet when finally she did contrive to come within sight of the poor girl it was exactly under the circumstances she so earnestly wished to avoid mrs barnaby in her often meditated estimate of revenue and expenses had arrived at the conclusion that she ought not to travel without a maid but that the said maid must be hired at the lowest rate of wages possible the necessity for this addition to her suite did not arise from any idle wish for her personal attendance to which she had never been much accustomed but from the conviction that there was something in the sound of my maid which might be of advantage to her on many occasions the finding out and engaging a girl that might enact the character of lady's maid showily and cheaply was the most important thing still left to be done before they quitted silverton the first qualification was a tall person that might set off to advantage such articles of the widow's cast-off finery as might be unnecessary for agnes the next a willingness to accept low wages while meditating on the subject it occurred to mrs barnaby that one of the girls she had seen walking in procession to church with the charity school was greatly taller than all the rest and in fact so remarkably long and lanky that she felt convinced she might if skilfully dressed up pass extremely well for a stylish lady's maid delighted at the idea she immediately summoned agnes to walk with her to the schoolhouse which was situated outside the town about a mile on the road leading to compton bassett on reaching the building her knock was answered by the schoolmistress herself who civilly asked her commands i must come in mrs sims before i can tell you was the reply and it was quite true for as mrs barnaby knew not the name of her intended abigail the only mode of entering upon her business must be by pointing out the girl whose length of limb had attracted her but no sooner had she passed the threshold than she perceived the long and slender object of her search immediately opposite to her in the act of taking down a work-basket from the top of a high commode 
which manoeuvre as it placed her on tiptoe and obliged her to stretch out her longitude to the very utmost displayed her to the eyes of mrs barnaby to the greatest possible advantage and convinced her very satisfactorily that her judgment had not erred that is the girl i wanted to speak about she said pointing to the lizard-like figure opposite to her what is her name mrs sims this one ma'am as is fetching my basket interrogated mrs sims in her turn yes that one that tall girl what is her name betty jacks ma'am is her name jacks repeated mrs barnaby a little disconcerted jacks that won't do i can never call her jacks but for that matter i could give her another name easy enough to be sure and what is she good for what can she do not over much of anything ma'am she was put late to me but she can read and iron a little and can do plain work well enough when she chooses it when she chooses it and she'll be sure to choose it i suppose when she goes to service i want a girl to wait upon me and to sew for me when she has nothing else to do and i think this one will do for me very well i ask your pardon ma'am replied mrs sims but if i might make so bold i would just say that for a notable tidy good girl sally wilkins there that one at the end of the form is far before betty jackson being likely to suit what that little thing why she is a baby mrs sims she is eleven months older than betty jacks ma'am and greatly beyond her in every way but i don't like the look of such a little thing the other would do for what i want much better come here betty jacks should you like to go out to service with a lady who would take care that you should always be well dressed and that you travel about with her and see a great deal of the world yes my lady replied the young maypole grinning from ear to ear and showing thereby a very fine set of teeth well then betty jacks i think we shall suit each other very well but i shan't call you betty though nor jacks either mind that you won't care about it i suppose if i find some pretty genteel sounding name for you will you no my lady responded the delighted girl very well and i will give you three pounds a year wages and good clothes enough to make you look a deal better than ever you did before what do you say to it i'll be glad to come and thank ye too my lady if father will let me who is her father mrs sims joe jacks the carpenter ma'am i don't suppose he is likely to make much objection to her getting such a place as mine is he that is what i can't pretend to say ma'am replied the schoolmistress very gravely i don't think betty oversteady myself but of course it is no business of mine and it will be far best that you should see joe jacks yourself ma'am and hear what he says about it to be sure and where can i see him he'll be certain to be here to-morrow morning ma'am for he'll come to be paid for the bench he made for me and if so be you would take the trouble to call again just about one when betty will be going home with him for the half-holiday they always have of a saturday why then ma'am you be quite sure to see him and hear what he'd got to say very well then that will do and we shall certainly walk over again to-morrow if the weather is anything like fine good morning to you mrs sims mind what i have said to you betty this is a fine chance for you and so you must tell your father come along agnes it so chanced that within half an hour of their departure miss compton also paid a visit to the school mrs sims was one of the persons whom she had saved from severe and probably lasting penury by one of those judicious loans which never being made without good and sufficient knowledge of the party accommodated were sure to be repaid and enabled her to perform a most essential benefit without any pecuniary loss whatever 
there were no excursions which gave the old lady so much pleasure as those which enabled her to contemplate the good effects of this rational species of benevolence and farmer wright never failed to offer her a place in his chaise cart whenever his business took him near any of the numerous cottages where this agreeable spectacle might greet her on the present occasion he set her down at the door of the schoolhouse while he called upon a miller at no great distance and mrs sims who was somewhat disturbed in mind by the visit and schemes of mrs barnaby no sooner saw her enter than she led her through the throng of young stitchers and spellers to the tidy little parlour behind well now miss compton you are kindly welcome she said and i wish with all my heart you had been here but a bit ago for who should we have here ma'am but your own niece mrs barnaby miss compton knit her brows with an involuntary frown and that sweet pretty creature miss willoughby comed with her she is a beauty to be sure if ever there was one what did they come for mrs sims inquired miss compton with sudden animation why that is just what i want to tell you ma'am and to ask your advice about she come here mrs barnaby i mean to look after that saucy betty jacks by way of taking her to be her servant and travelling about with her and upon my word miss compton she might just as well take my cat there for any good or use she's likely to be of and besides that ma'am i have no ways a good opinion of the child for child she is though she's a monster in tallness she does not speak the truth miss compton and that's what i can't abide and i don't think she'll do me any credit in any way but yet i'm afraid it would be doing a bad action if i was to stand in the girl's light and prevent her going by telling all the ill i think of her when they comes again to-morrow to settle about it mrs sims ceased and certainly expected a decided opinion from miss compton on the subject for that lady had kept her eyes fixed upon her and appeared to be listening with very profound attention but the only reply was and do you think the girl will come with her come with who ma'am with mrs barnaby to be sure oh no ma'am she won't come with her she will go home as usual to-night and is to come back to meet the ladies here a little afternoon to-morrow with her father but agnes miss willoughby i mean are you sure she will come back with her aunt to-morrow i am sure i can't say ma'am but i think she will for i well remember mrs barnaby said with her grand way we will walk over to-morrow if the weather be anyways fine miss compton now seemed sunk in profound meditation of which mrs sims fully hoped to reap the fruits but once more she was disappointed for when miss compton again spoke it was only to say i want to see agnes willoughby mrs sims and i do not want to see mrs barnaby do you think you could manage this for me if i come here again to-morrow i am sure ma'am replied mrs sims looking a little surprised and a little puzzled i am sure there is nothing that i am not in duty bound to do for you if done it can be and if you will be pleased to say how the thing shall be managed i will do my part with a right good will to make everything go as you wish this was a very obliging reply but it showed miss compton that she must trust to her own ingenuity for discovering the ways and means for putting her design in practice after thinking about it a little and looking round upon the locale she said i will tell you how it must be i will be here to-morrow before the time you have named to them and you shall place me in this room when mrs barnaby is engaged in talking to the girl and her father take agnes by the hand and lead her in to me saying if you will that you have something you wish her to see which will be no more than the truth if mrs barnaby happens to hear this and offers to follow then as you value my friendship close the door and lock it never mind what she thinks of it i will take care her anger shall do you no harm oh dear ma'am i am not the least afraid of mrs barnaby's anger nor do i expect she will take any notice 
she seems so very hot upon having that great awkward hoyden betty jacks that i don't think when she is engaged with her father about it she will be likely to take much heed of miss agnes and me but at any rate miss compton i'll take good care ma'am that she shan't come anear you and now ma'am will you be so good as to tell me if you think i shall be doing a sin letting this idle hussy set off travelling with her no sin at all mrs sims replied miss compton with decision let the girl be what she may depend upon it she is quite but here she stopped adding a minute after do go mrs sims and see if farmer wright's cart is come back a few minutes more brought the humble vehicle to the door when the heiress climbed to her accustomed place in it and gave herself up to meditation so unusually earnest as not only to defeat all the good farmer's respectful attempts at conversation but to occupy her for one whole hour after her return and that so completely as to prevent her from opening her half-read volume though that volume was walter scott's thoughts and schemes were working and arranging themselves in her head which were in truth important enough to demand some leisure for their operations this beauty if ever there was one this poor motherless and father-forgotten agnes this inevitable heiress of the compton acres ought she because she had found her short and fat two years before to abandon her to the vulgar patronage of the hateful mrs barnaby a blush of shame and repentance mantled her pale cheek as this question presented itself and she acknowledged to her own heart the sin and folly of the prejudice which had led her to turn away from the only being connected with her to whom she could be useful she remembered too in this hour of self-examination and reproach that the father of this ill-treated girl was a gentleman and that she ought therefore to have been kindly fostered by the last of the comptons as a representative more worthy to revive their antiquated claims to patrician rank than could have been reasonably expected from any descendant of her brother josiah these thoughts having been sufficiently dwelt upon examined and acknowledged to be just the arrangement of her future conduct was next to be considered and notwithstanding the singularly secluded life she had led the little lady was far from being ignorant of the entire change it would be her duty to make in the whole manner of her existence should she decide upon taking agnes willoughby from mrs barnaby and becoming herself her sole guardian and protectress could she bear this and could she afford it the little weak-looking but wiry frame of the spinster had a spirit within it of no inconsiderable firmness and the first of these questions was soon answered by a mentally ejaculated i will which in sincerity and intensity of purpose was well worth the best vow ever breathed before the altar for the solution of the other the old lady turned to her account-books and found the leading items in the column of receipts to be as follow by annual rent from the compton bassett farm six hundred pounds by interest on twelve thousand pounds in the three per cents three hundred sixty pounds by interest on eighteen hundred pounds lent on mortgage at five pounds per cent ninety pounds by interest on six thousand pounds lent on mortgage at four pounds per cent two hundred forty pounds by interest on twenty five hundred pounds lent on mortgage at five pounds per cent one hundred twenty five pounds for a total of one thousand four hundred fifteen pounds of this income the last item of which however had been entered only three weeks before being the result of the latest appropriation of her savings miss compton spent not one single farthing nor had done so since the payment in advance of three hundred and fifty pounds to mrs wilmot for the education and dress of agnes in fact the profits arising from the honey she sold fully furnished all the cash she wanted as her stipulated supplies from the farm amounted very nearly to all that her aesthetic table required 
she used neither tea nor wine milk supplying their place she had neither rent taxes nor servants to pay and her toilette though neat to admiration cost less than any lady would believe possible who had not studied the enduring nature of stout and simple habiliments when worn as miss compton wore them such being the facts it might be imagined that a schedule like the above would have appeared to such a possessor of such an income a sufficient guarantee against any possible pecuniary embarrassment from inviting one young girl to share it with her but miss compton as she sat in her secluded bower had for years been looking out upon the fashionable world through the powerful though somewhat distorting lunettes d'approche furnished by modern novels and if she had acquired no other information thereby she at least had learned to estimate with some tolerable degree of justness the difference between the expense of living in the world and out of it if i adopt her and make her wholly mine thought she it shall not be for the purpose of forming her into a rich country town miss she shall be introduced into the world she shall improve whatever talents nature may have given her by lessons from the best masters her dress shall be that of a well-born woman of good fortune and she shall be waited upon as a gentlewoman ought to be can i do all this and keep her a carriage besides for fourteen hundred a year no was uttered aloud by the deeply meditative old lady what then was she to decide upon should she wait for two more years before she declared her intentions and by aid of the farther sum thus saved enable herself to reach the point she aimed at something that she took for prudence very nearly answered yes but was checked by a burst of contrary feeling that again found vent in words and while i am saving hundreds of pounds may she not be acquiring thousands of vulgar habits that may again quench all my hopes no it shall be done at once so at length she laid her head on her pillow resolved to take her heiress immediately under her own protection provided always that the examination which was to take place on the morrow should not prove that the wisest style of beauty was unbearably predominant and that having arranged with her honest tenant some fair equivalent for her profitable apiary her lodgings and her present allowances she should take her at once to london devote one year to the completion of her education and leave it to fate and fortune to decide what manner of life they should afterwards pursue for a little rustic old woman who had never in her life travelled beyond the country town of her native shire this plan was by no means ill-concocted and must i think display very satisfactorily to all unprejudiced eyes the great advantages to be derived from a long and diligent course of novel-reading as without it miss compton would most assuredly never have discovered that fourteen hundred a year was insufficient to supply the expenses of herself and her young niece but alas all this wisdom was destined to be blighted in the bud miss compton was true to her appointment and so was mrs barnaby the fair agnes too failed not to make her appearance and moreover the critical eyes of the old lady failed not to discover at the very first glance that no trace of wiset vulgarity was there to lessen the effect of her exceeding loveliness but all this was of no avail for the matter went in this wise the first who arrived of the parties expected by mrs sims was joe jacks the carpenter his daughter betty had given him such an account of the proposal made to her as caused him to be exceedingly anxious for its acceptance and he now came rather before the appointed time in order to hint pretty plainly to mrs sims that he should take it very ill if she did not give a good word to help his troublesome betty off his hands then came miss compton who walked straight through the schoolroom and ensconced herself in the little parlour behind it and in about ten minutes afterwards the stately mrs barnaby and her graceful companion arrived also 
mrs sims was by no means deficient in her manner of managing the little intrigue entrusted to her she waited very quietly till she perceived mrs barnaby completely occupied in making the carpenter understand that if she engaged to find shoes shifts and flannel petticoats for his daughter as well as all her finery the wages could not be more than two pounds and then she laid a gentle hand on agnes who not being particularly interested in the discussion suffered herself to be abducted without resistance and in the next moment found herself in the presence of miss compton the young girl knew her in a moment for she had made a deep impression on her memory both by her kindness at one period and her capricious want of it at another but far different was the effect of memory in the old lady for not only was she unable to recognize in the figure before her the agnes of her recollection or rather of her fancy but it was not immediately that she could be made to believe in the identity you do not mean to tell me mrs sims that this young lady is agnes willoughby said she rising up and really trembling from agitation dear me yes miss compton to be sure it is do you not know me dear aunt said agnes approaching her and timidly holding out her hand your aunt am i really your aunt is it possible that you are my poor brother's grandchild i am agnes willoughby replied the young girl puzzled and almost frightened by the doubts and the agitation she witnessed if you are exclaimed miss compton suddenly embracing her i am a more guilty creature than i ever thought to be at this moment and while the arms of the diminutive spinster were still twined round the person of agnes who had just decided in her own mind that her great-aunt was the most unintelligible person in the world the door of the little parlour opened with a jerk that showed it yielded to no weak hand and the full-blown person of the widow barnaby stood before them her eyes and her rouge were as bright as ever and her sober cap and sable draperies vainly as it should seem endeavoured to soften those peculiarities of the wisest aspect against which miss compton had sworn eternal hatred for never had she appeared more detestable her usual bravura manner indeed was somewhat exaggerated by her indignation at the concealment which had been attempted and which had been adroitly pointed out to her by the sharp-witted betty jacks so you thought i should not find you out i suppose she exclaimed as she shut the door behind her god give me patience cried the irritated recluse suddenly disengaging herself from agnes this is strange persecution mrs barnaby and as she spoke she endeavoured to effect her retreat but this could not be done in a straight direction inasmuch as it required a considerable circuit safely to weather either side of the expansive widow and before miss compton reached the door the lady had so established herself before it as to render her leaving the room without permission absolutely impossible the time had been when the hope of getting something out of the little hunchback would have enabled mrs barnaby to put a very strong restraint upon any feeling likely to offend her but this was over she thought her turn was come now and considered her own revenues and her own position as so immeasurably superior to those of the little old woman clothed in grey who stood shaking before her that her pride would never have forgiven her avarice had it led her to neglect this favourable opportunity of displaying some of the contempt and scorn which she had felt she had heretofore received from her upon my word miss compton she began i do really wonder you are not ashamed of yourself to come visiting this vulgar body mrs sims instead of profiting by the notice of your own relations which might do you honour and your dress miss compton what must my niece miss willoughby think at seeing the sister of her own grandfather going about in such a horrid coarse miserable stuff gown as that 
we all know how you have been squandering your little property upon the beggars you get to flatter you but that is no reason for behaving as you do towards me my excellent husband has left me in circumstances of such affluence as might enable me to assist you by the gift of some of my own clothes if you conducted yourself as you ought to do this harangue would probably have been cut short had miss compton retained breath enough to articulate but astonishment and indignation almost choked her instead of speaking she stood still and panted till agnes inexpressibly shocked and terrified moved a chair towards her and entreated her to sit down her only reply however was rudely pushing agnes and her chair aside and then with a sort of desperate effort exclaiming woman let me pass oh yes you may pass and welcome said mrs barnaby standing aside you have behaved to me from first to last more like a fiend than an aunt and i certainly shall not break my heart if i never set eyes on you again come agnes my love i have concluded my business in this musty smelling place and now let us be gone don't stand fawning upon her i promise you it will be all in vain you will get nothing by it my dear distressed beyond measure at this painful scene and not well knowing how to express the strong feeling which drew her to the side of miss compton agnes stood timidly uncertain what she ought to do when mrs barnaby's authoritative voice again uttered come my dear agnes i am impatient to take you away from what i consider so very disgraceful a meeting thus painfully obliged to decide upon either taking leave of her older relative or of departing without it agnes turned again towards miss compton and silently bending down offered to kiss her cheek but the angry old lady started away from her saying none of that if you please no fawning upon me you are her dear love and her dear agnes and none such shall ever be graced or disgraced by me and thus saying she walked past the tittering mrs barnaby and out of the house preferring the chance of toiling two miles to reach her home rather than endure another moment passed under the same roof with her End of chapters eleven and twelve